second reading is from Revelation chapter 1 uh, and beginning at the first verse can be found on page 1286 of your Pew Bibles. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power for ever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Here ends the reading. Thank you, um, Jeff, for reading that wonderful passage uh, this morning. I would encourage you to keep our Bibles open to, uh, uh, to this, um, this chapter, please, this morning. But let's uh, come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray, Lord, that your spirit will speak to us. We thank you that you have given us your revealed word, that you have spoken to us and you speak to us in this word, which is your word. Lord, I pray that you will hide me behind you, Lord. That this morning will be all about you, always. That you will be exalted and receive honor. We speak to our hearts, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we uh, come back uh, to the book of Revelation after a short break uh, from it in the past few weeks. And so today I'm doing part 2 of Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, focusing on verses 5 to 8 this morning. A very quick recap, just in case you are visiting with us this morning, and you are here, some visitors. Uh, We will be in due course looking at the seven churches to the book of Revelation. This book is, is, is addressed to the seven churches in Asia, which is today Western Turkey. And our plan, as I said, is to work our way through the seven churches in this book, and I hope that it will be a wonderful encouragement to us, as well as a challenge, and perhaps also a word of admonition from the Lord as we uh, work our way through uh, these books. Now, apart from all the imagery and the symbolism that can be confusing in the book of Revelation, we must not lose sight of the fact that the book of Revelation is an immensely, immensely comforting book. 
It speaks of the return of Jesus as one of its themes. The comfort to the church. The hope of glory. It speaks of the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, this, this morning in our kids' talk, uh, we saw, um, we, we heard about the story of Adam and Eve and how they ate that forbidden fruit and the consequences of that. Paradise lost is paradise gained in Christ and will be finally brought to consummation. And the book of Revelation speaks about that. The beginning and the end stories book ended in the life and the history of this world. So it is a book that powerfully speaks of a view of history leading to its climactic future in Jesus Christ. So let me give you once again a very quick outline of, uh, of the book. We have the introduction, things that are seen, uh, the vision, the seven churches. I've given you those chapter outlines there as well. The things that are to come and the conclusion of the book. And I've divided our text this morning, just in case for, if you want an outline, I'll give you this as an outline. So, the, the greeting that we see here, the doxology, now someone might say, well, that's a big word. Doxology essentially means praise, as we know, and we have the, the prophecy, verses 7 and 8. So, we have the greetings here, or the greeting. If you look at uh, your Bibles with me this morning, Revelation chapter 1, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace and so forth. The letter, as I said, is written to the seven churches. If you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet. You see the trumpet? It's a wonderful instrument, isn't it? I love listening to uh, the trumpet. Uh, James Morrison. Have you listened to his music? Anyone? Uh, just uh, say yes, okay, raise your hand, it's okay. I, I love it as well. I love listening to James Morrison. Trumpet, beautiful. Anyway, the trumpets, they play a significant part in, 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 in God's word. And, and the trumpets here again. And write what you see. You see, uh, John is about 90 years old. And he's put there in the island of Patmos. A, an island that was dry. Not, not, not much greenery around the place, is there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, a 90-odd-year-old man. We have some men in our congregation creeping up to their 90s, they gradually getting there. Some of you are smiling. You know who I'm speaking about this morning? <laughs> Don't raise your hand, it's okay. The point is, and he's out there, and he's by himself. And in this place he's banished. And God, the Spirit of God, gives him this vision. And he writes here. And he heard a loud voice. Write to the churches, Ephesus, Myrna, Pergamum, Thyatria, and Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea, the seven churches. You see, number seven is symbolic of completeness. And so this church, this church, that is the number seven, represents, I believe, symbolic of Every church throughout the age. And so, when John wrote this letter, in 95 AD, approximately that time, he was under Domitian, the emperor. He's, he is what we might call one of the beasts of the book of Revelation. Ruthless. A ruthless leader. Who wanted people to worship him. I mean, Christians 
turned away and worshipped Christ as Lord, they paid a heavy price. And it is within this context of persecution, the church here is given a greeting. And the greeting, friends, this morning is Trinitarian in its context. It's Trinitarian in its focus. And that's why we sang, glory be to God the Father this morning. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to the Spirit that is working. Father, Son, and the Spirit. If you look at it, it's Trinitarian in its, in its address here this morning. Grace and peace to you. From him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. So it is a Trinitarian, Godhead greeting that is coming here. The father who is, who was and who is to come. The seven spirits, a reference to the Holy Spirit and the floodlighted ministry of the Spirit of God. You see, we sometimes forget the work of the Spirit, don't we? The Holy Spirit. We were driving up this morning. Just Rose and myself, no kids in the car. Um, we were just talking as we drove up. And I said to Rose, we prayed. She prayed and I was driving, so it's all right. <laughs> Uh, we prayed this morning. I said to her, dear, we need to pray for the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in his church. Not just at St. Stephen's, but across the world. Because we can have, I'm talking to you now humbly as a preacher. I can have all of these notes, this thing. Or you might have an iPad that you write your notes, I don't know, as preachers. This means nothing. All the hard work that's done in preparing this would come to nothing apart from the powerful work of the Spirit of God. All our ministries would come to nothing without the empowerment of the Spirit. Don't you think so? And so here is the Spirit of God. The seven Spirit is a powerful reference to the Holy Spirit, taking us back into the Old Testament as well, and I won't get into that this morning for the purpose of time. Look at Zechariah and so forth. Not by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. You know that text, right? So this greeting is grace. God's people needed grace. Aren't we all in need of grace? Grace, just as we do today to persevere, the church then needed it. And grace is God's favor. That is given to those who do not deserve it. It's given to show us His grace, His goodness, His kindness. How kind is God to you? Have you ever stopped to think about that? The kindness of God? Have you ever stopped to think about the grace of God? This is grace that is coming. And grace is God's abounding goodness showered upon His people. And it is His kindness. And then this, this salutation or this greeting is also with peace. You see, this is the peace that comes through faith in Jesus. We are justified by His blood so that we have peace with God. That's the primary focus, isn't it? Our peace with our Creator. So it is God's peace that is in view here in the midst of chaos and persecution. A peace that comes through faith in Jesus. You see, this grace, this peace comes from God who is, was, and who is to come. The Eternal One and the Seven Spirits.
The greetings also comes from uh, the one who is a faithful witness. Look at 5a. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. It is Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. He is described first with reference to his ministry on earth, and what a witness it was. His entire life was a witness leading to the cross. Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead. What did we celebrate last Sunday? Forgot? What was last Sunday? Easter. And did you know, friends, every Sunday, every Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. (laughs) Yes, Easter is a special time, and we remember. But every Sunday, we proclaim, Christ is risen. (laughs) Every Sunday on the Lord's Day. And Jesus Christ, the ruler of kings on earth. You know, those three statements themselves can have a sermon extensively. And as king, God has highly exalted this Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God. What a tremendous, what a tremendous Encouragement to the church in the midst of suffering and trials to be assured of grace and peace from him who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty and from the seven spirits and from Jesus Christ. So Revelation is a word of encouragement to all of us, to every church in every age. The Trinity, Father, Spirit and Son is involved in this greeting, sending it to this earth. I mean, standing behind the church. I was, we were so saddened last week. I'm sure some of us saw uh, on the news the situation in Pakistan, right? In Lahore. Christians were gathered there. Children murdered. You see that depravity? You see, can can you see, friends, when we talk about sin, you know, do you sin and, and theologians and, and preachers can you sin in all kinds of what, what is sin? You sin, sin is, we know it's rebellion against God, it is turning our backs on God, but, but the depravity of sin is shocking, isn't it? One of the points of, of, of Calvinism is total depravity. You know, we call it the tulip. The first one is total depravity. The total depravity of the human heart. Is seen in our own hearts. And it's seen, it's been played out in this world. In all its wickedness. What else, how else could you explain it? You see, the Trinitarian greeting is a reminder to the church. That the Godhead is concerned and cares for the church on earth. And she is not abandoned by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. What a glorious comfort. What an encouragement to us today. When I hear stories of Christians being murdered, of brothers and sisters in Christ, when I heard about it last Sunday from Ian's parents, we came home very troubled. I can assure you that. As a family, we we, we prayed for their safety. And I think, wow, you know, in this life or whatever life, we have a God, the Godhead, who stands with his people. 
Then we move to the doxology. We see a praise here. He says, John, can't, he can't contain himself. <laughs> and he comes out with this tremendous praise. And now John, under the power of the Spirit, he says this, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. Look at your Bibles. 5b and verse 6. Freed us from our sins by his blood and made us kingdom and priests and so forth. Ends with Amen. He says, God be the glory forever to him who loves us. What an amazing, beautiful description of the work of Jesus Christ to him who loves us. This is one of the most powerful and profound statements about the work of Jesus. Don't we see that? Notice, to him who loves us. This is in the, in the original text. It is in the present tense. That is, Jesus loved us and he continues to love us. He doesn't just say, oh, I loved you then and now my love is not continuing on. <laughs> we do that, don't we? We love people, sometimes relationships break down and we quickly move on. But Jesus doesn't. His love is constant. His love is personal. His love is profound. To him who loves us. And, and it is placed in contrast to freed us. I want us to see that the freed us is in the past tense. And there's a purpose there. The word there is lusanti, that is, you've been set free. That was a finished work of Jesus. At the cross, it was finished. And his love comes to a full expression at the cross. And this love began before his birth. I want to take us back beyond this message beyond revelation. It began in eternity past. In what we is called by theologians as the covenant of redemption. Covenant is an agreement. And God made covenants. Look through the Bible, with Abraham and so forth. You can read about those covenants. This covenant of redemption is not one that God makes with humans. This one, play, this one takes place in eternity, in the Godhead. And we know from Genesis 1 that the Trinity was actively involved in the creation of this world, bringing it into existence out of nothing. And the redemption is also Trinitarian. The Son carries out the mission the Father had given Him. And in this covenant of redemption, the agreement is that Jesus will do all that was agreed within the Trinity to bring about the work of redemption. That is to go to the cross. To voluntarily give himself up there. And to demonstrate his love for us. By shedding his blood. Here is love in action. We need to be reminded of such love. A love that continues on. His love does not change. He does not go. He does not go in and out of love. Do you know what I mean? Is constant. Our world is starving for love. Correct? You agree? Did you know that last week, this last week, the report on domestic violence was released by the Royal Commission? And the statistics are very telling, extremely telling. In, for example, there are at least eight Incidents of domestic violence here in Victoria reported every hour. 
187 every day. 1307 every week. 68,134 for the year. I was speaking to someone who said to me about this domestic violence. Where the father or this guy abuses his wife and a little boy has seen it. And when the father comes, he is shivering, shaking, because he doesn't want to go home. Because what is in store there is violence. Guys, no, no, I'm not. There is no way we can condone any guy raising a hand to a woman. No way. See, when I read that article, I read the part of the report, and it's part of my chaplaincy work, the guys tell me this is one of the number one problems in our society. Domestic violence. Did you know that? Separately in, uh, in the vicinity of this area as well. I read, when I read the report and I heard about this, my thoughts went straight to the book of, Revelation, uh, of Ephesians. This is just a passing comment, okay? Husbands, love your wives. How? Anyone wants to complete it? Come on, guys, you, sh- you should know this text. All married guys should know this text, all right? And those young guys who want to be married, memorize this. <laughs> because you will have a great wife. What does it say? Husbands, love your wives as... Come on, all marry all guys here. As Christ loved his church. How did Christ love his church? He gave his life at the cross. That's sacrificial love. Now, I don't I mean I'll be a miserable guy to live for us to live with, apart from the cross. <laughs> Even as a believer, I think she has struggled sometimes. <laughs> right? Imagine not knowing Jesus. I'll be the most miserable guy for her to live with. Because the cross changes. Christ changes things. Love comes in. You know, God says in his word, that those who trust in him and know him, God says in his word, in the book of Romans, that God pours out his love into our hearts. And he takes a cold heart, an unlovable heart, and he transforms this heart. And he puts love and love and love. Open your heart and say, God, pour out your love into my heart because I need that love. Otherwise, I'm just a rotten guy. And God will continue to pour that. Look at this, what he says. He has loved us. He loves us now. And he loves us and his love will never fail to the future. If I be and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Wow, how liberating is this, friends? See, when we repent, when we turn to Jesus, he is loose. He has, the, 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 the original word there, he has loosed us from our sins. Sin is rebellion, opposition against God, is dishonoring God. It shows its ugliness in jealousy, pride, violence, murder, sexual sin, pornography, whatever you might want to call it. But Jesus took that sin, justified by his blood, repenting. You know, I was listening to a YouTube song. Um, 
It, it's, it's this one. Maybe some of the young people might know them. I'm not saying others might know it as well. Mary, it's called shackles. Do you know that one? Come on. You have heard it? Shackles, Mary, Mary? Am I the only guy who knows this? You know, <laughs> you know that song, eh? Whoa, it's, it's sure it's hot out here. Yeah, I, I should sing it. I don't mind though, just glad to be free. Know that I'm shackles off my feet and I can dance. You know that one? I want to praise you. I want to just praise you. When I put the YouTube clip, actually I must say this, I must confess. I got up from my seat in my office and because it is such a beautiful beat. I mean, I love, I love the beat, that song. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You broke the chains. This is a Christian song. I was, I, this has been confirmed by my kids. So if I'm wrong, see them. See Jessica and Sean. Okay. Anyway, you broke the chains. Now I can lift my hands. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. That's how it goes. Because the shackles have been broken. That's how it is with sin. When Jesus freed us, he's taken those shackles. That's the shackles that, that ties us and binds us. And he's broken it. And set you free by his blood. And that freedom to live. You know, when I heard that message for the first time when I became a Christian, that my sins have been forgiven and I've been set free in Christ. I tell you what, brother, sisters, that was one of the greatest, most liberating messages that I've heard, that I heard as a young guy. <laughs> because I knew the sin in my heart. And I tried to pay for it with flowers and baskets of goodies and so forth. Never worked. The Bible tells us this. In fact, Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Are you shackled today in sin? Is your life bound and under the shackles and the burden of sin and guilt that's bringing you down this morning? And you say, God, I don't know where to turn to. And this Jesus says, come to me and I will set you free. And the shackles are gone. And then I want to praise you. I want to praise you. That's what it is. Christ cleanses us. Now this doesn't mean, friends, that we are perfect, isn't it? We do sin. But sin is no longer master over us. We need to be assured that when we do fall into sin, and we do, that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And then, let's keep going. And, and, and he says here, he has made you into a priesthood. Just look at what he says there in verse 6. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory forever. You see, we are. This is from Exodus chapter 5, uh, 19. We are God's possession. We are part of his kingdom. When you become a child of God, you become a child of his kingdom. With Jesus as our king. And he's also made us into a priesthood. This is what we might call the priesthood of believers. Martin Luther uh, pointed out in his Babylonian captivity of the church that all we who are Christians are priests. And no believer has greater access to the Creator than any other. I get called all kinds of names. Um, I mean, titles. And, uh, some people call me Father. I think, oh, wow. In Sri Lanka, I was always called Father. So I'm thinking, oh. Some people call me a priest. So you're a priest in the church. 
said, no, I'm a pastor. I said, you're not the priest. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, we are the priesthood of believers. We don't need a priest anymore to make sacrifices for you and to come to God through the priest. You can come and see me in my office. I will listen to your confessions and I'll have an offering box there. You can drop a hundred dollars or whatever or some chocolate. That'll be fine. And I'll absolve you according to the amount you've given me. No, it doesn't happen that way. We have direct access to God now. We are the priesthood of believers serving the living God. He has made us into that. And then the doxology ends. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 8, 7 and 8. We have this wonderful, amazing prophecy that we have in the text. We'll look at verse 8 first and come to 7. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I want to say this about, because sometimes there can be confusion here. Both God and Jesus identify themselves as I am the Alpha and the Omega. Just have a look for a moment. God says, I am the Alpha and Omega, 1.8. Jesus, I am the first and the last. God, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So we have this kind of interchanging connections here. God and Jesus, both equal Father-Son relationship here. But they identify themselves as Alpha, Omega, and so forth. That's what we have. So, the letter A came to symbolize the beginning, and the letter Z, the end of all things. In the Greek, the first letter is the Alpha, the last letter is the Omega. And so, one scholar says it this way, the Alpha and the Omega is a figure of speech called a merism. A merism states polar opposites in order to highlight everything between the opposites. And so, in this context, it tells us that Jesus is the beginning and the end, as creator is the alpha of creator, of creation, and he is the end, the omega of all things, who is, who was, and who is to come, the almighty. He is eternal. He will not change. I used to remember singing a song, went like this. Well, maybe I shouldn't sing it, but went like, yesterday, Today, forever, Jesus is the same. Do you know that one? All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Do you know that one? No? Well, I learned. <laughs> really? I can teach you that. <laughs> I'll be there on next Sunday at our home and I'll get in the music team. Anyway, yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Anyway. That's the point. You see, Jesus never changes. It's Hebrews, isn't it? Hebrews. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I can trust him. Unlike myself, I change my mind from one moment to the next. But Jesus doesn't. You get the point? We can trust him. And I encourage you, especially also for our younger people here this morning, as you live in a world of change, and for us, who are older, and we look at this world and say, wow, everything is changing so rapidly. What is the constant in this world? Well, Jesus is. To trust him. He is who he is. Was who is. And who is to come. The Almighty, the Alpha, 
and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen. Are you trusting Him? And friends, because He's the Alpha and Omega, this world is not drifting to a never-never. The world as a final destination is the Almighty One, the ruler exercising absolute dominion, ruler of all. This world will not end just like that. He is the end goal of history in this world. And time is given meaning and purpose. I just want to say this very quickly to us this morning. Time is given meaning and purpose because Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Do you get what I'm saying? So we live our lives in the midst of the, 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 this Alpha and this Omega. And life has got meaning and purpose and, and vision to live. So every morning when you get up, I mean, we had an extra hour this morning. Wasn't that good? I didn't change my clock last night. Next to my bed. Deliberately, I didn't change it. And I got up this morning and said, Whoopee! I've got another hour to be on bed. It didn't work because I had to take the dog out anyway. That guy doesn't go on time cycles. The point is, your life is given meaning. Because Christ has given us meaning as the Alpha and the Omega. So you don't just drift in life like just going along. Pray that God will use your life for His glory. Live your life with the abundance of Christ, who gives abundant life, who gives meaning, who gives purpose to living. That's what we see here. We live our lives with a purpose. That's why I read Psalm 139. For the psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you. For why? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now this is not some kind of positive thinking psych- psychology here. This is God's word that is saying to you. You are precious to me, God says. Because I have put you together. Your life is precious because I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, and you live in between the beginning and the end, and it gives you purpose, not just to live and to drift, but also for the eternity that your life now counts because of what Christ has done. And God takes a rotten sinner like me from nowhere land and brings salvation and grace and goodness, and He puts me as a child in his kingdom and set me on a path of eternity. What a joy. Does it give you joy this morning? You go home and say, God, I want to thank you this morning for who you are. History becomes his story. Jesus takes his claim in history and the world and sets history in its context for without him there is no history. He is the finality. In verse 7, look at what a fantastic verse that is, friends. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Acts chapter 1, the disciples, others were there. What happened to Jesus? What happened to Jesus in Acts chapter 1? Anyone? It's there. <laughs> he, was, he was raised, he was lifted. I mean, I, I try to figure out how, what would have these guys been thinking, these disciples and others, standing there, and Jesus is being taken up. And this Jesus, look, look at what the text says. 
Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why? Let's read the latter part together. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. That's the point. What is John saying? What is Revelation saying? The exalted Savior. Get this picture, friends. Here is God in the covenant of redemption. agrees to send his son. Jesus comes to fulfill that mission. He dies on the cross. He is raised from the dead. He is exalted, taken up to the Father, interceding for us. And a day is coming when he will return. I don't think we actually live in expectancy of his return, do you? We don't get up in the morning and say, man, the Lord might return today. I don't think so. But let's see. The text says, look, he is coming. We don't know the time. We don't know the day. This is all filled with prophecy. I don't have time to go through that in Daniel chapter 7 and so forth. You can read of those things. Every eye will see him. Universal nature of his return. Even those who pierced him. They pierced him and they, and they judged him. But Jesus now will judge them. The tables will be changed. There will be moaning. That is, there will be weeping. The Greek word there is wailing. It is, a, it is not just, just a little cry. The, 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 the tense of the, of the word that is used here is a deep word. It is wailing. It is crying. Because it is too late. And so I ask you the question here this morning. Do you know Jesus this morning? Because it will be too late. To repent. So, let me conclude. This Jesus will come. Are you ready to meet him when he calls? Do you know this amazing Savior? We've seen the testimony of Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. How amazing our Savior is. And you know, one of the greatest, I am looking forward to it, friends, and I'm sure you are. I am really, really looking forward to one day in the providence of God to see the face of Jesus. What a day that will be, eh? And to those who know, don't know him, it will be morning. No hope. But for us who know him, it will be great joy. We will stand before this risen, amazing King, wow, who will see Christ.